Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox Podcast. And today we have a special treat. We have my friend Anthony Gustin, Dr. Dr. Anthony Gustin, on the show. And he's going to be talking about what you do when you reach the pinnacle of health. You've been doing everything for your health, for your diet, your supplements, your exercise, and you're just you know, kind of feeling like you, you're looking for something more. There is something more that you can be doing to improve your life, to feel like you have a sense of purpose in your life. And so Dr. Gustin is going to talk about his own spiritual journey, his own health journey, and what he's learned along the way. So some really good lessons here uh, for anyone feeling like, you know, there's something missing in their life and they, they're just longing for something more besides just doing their, you know, eating their salads every day and, you know, working on their health and, and just feeling like that they're waking up just kind of, meh, I just feel like uh, maybe waking up feeling gray and there's just, they're still yearning for something more. Uh, so check out this show. Um, so Dr. Anthony, and I talk about plant medicines on the show. We talk about spirituality. Uh, we discuss trauma and the role that trauma can play in, in health issues. Uh, we talk about, um, you know, just, uh, you know, also connecting with your food and learning who the people are that are growing your food and, and Anthony's, uh, kind of, you know, thoughts on, you know, connecting with your community through, uh, growing food and sharing food with people that you care about and um, really, really uh, interesting show. So check it out. Um, so Dr. Gessen, uh, he is a former sports rehab clinician turned entrepreneur, uh, author, podcaster, investor, and amateur farmer. He's currently working on some new projects to help save our food system in scale regenerative agriculture. He last founded Perfect Keto, which was, had been acquired to help people with metabolic dysfunction and equip foods to provide people with whole food nutrition supplementation. He's always exploring how to live like a human on his podcast, The Natural State Podcast, and his newsletter, The Feed. You can learn more about Dr. Gustin and his work at dranthonygustin.com. Anthony, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the, the health world? Oh boy. This story gets longer every year for sure. But I mean, the, the short of it is I was really unhealthy, fat, sick when I was younger, grew up in the Midwest, where it was just common everywhere I would look, it was the same thing where people were just unhealthy, standard American diet, addicted to anything that they could be addicted to repressed emotions, tons of trauma on the cycle goes. I was fortunate enough to escape that. And my entry was in nutrition. And so taking control of my own nutrition. So even in high school, I was starting to work on that stuff and just got sick of doctors telling me that this is just the way it is. This is your genes. This is, you know, how your life is going to be. Didn't want to accept that. And so kind of take things into my own hands, knew I wanted to help other people do that. And the only way I knew how at the time was to be a physician. And I didn't want to sort of go on the standard medical route of prescribing medications, all the type of stuff. So actually with the guidance of some local people, chiropractors and physical therapists, uh, sort of chose that as a route to be more preventative. And so fast track, got my doctorate in chiropractic masters in sports rehab, and it was working with a lot of athletes doing functional medicine work, but also sports rehab, musculoskeletal work, sort of working a little bit more of a holistic perspective. 
and then started writing. I, I realized that there was this thing called the internet that could you could reach people on. We lived in San Francisco. This is like, I don't know, over 10 years ago now. And started writing articles, posting stuff online, gained a little, got a little bit of a following and realized how with content I could help people. And so started putting out information and then launched a bunch of different businesses after that to try to help people with, you know, just being obsessed with the question of why are people so sick and how do we improve the human experience and have people have a rich human experience. And that has led me to a lot of weird places. And so got really into a ketogenic diet. I think that a ketogenic diet is a great tool for people who have metabolic dysfunction and led me into farming. So got into farming. I've been doing that a lot in the last couple of years. And now just really into food system, literally how we grow our food and how it's so much more important than just the nutrients we get out of it and the connection to food community, et cetera. So it's kind of all over the place now, but still asking the same question of, you know, why is our experience so broken in, in modernity? You know, we have an obsession around physical health. And I think that that for sure is an issue, but what's going ignored also is the, I think the unmoredness of people's lives and how that leads to depression, anxiety, suicide, uh, just a feeling of emptiness. Even if people master the physical health spot, they, I think have still a lot of issues. And I think I went through the sort of the same arc of getting healthy myself physically and then still having so much trauma to deal with, still having so much emotional, mental, spiritual gaps in my life and realizing that wholeness as a human includes so much more than eating well, sleeping right, moving, which is the things that I was obsessed with for years. And so I'd say still on a journey of trying to figure out a lot of that stuff for myself, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a weird path, but I've been enjoying it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I had reached a point where I was just working so hard on my physical health and the diet and the supplements. And then just was like, what in the hell do I have to do to feel good? You know, because you thought, yeah. oh, I just need to fix my neurotransmitters with more animal protein or whatever the case may be. And uh, I went on a certain journey as well. Never thought I'd be talking about bioenergetics and where, you know, never thought I'd be talking about things where that I'm talking about today and where my journey would lead me as well. Um, but yeah, the emotional trauma component was huge uh, for me as well. And it's something that I think everyone in our journey, we have to reach a certain point where we're looking for that next rung to go to. And yes, for me, it was that trauma and then the, the adding the spirituality component as well. So what have you learned in your journey? What has really helped you, you know, after you've conquered your, your physical health, what was the, the next thing for you that really upgraded your, your whole being? I think the next biggest thing was for sure dealing with trauma and stored, I don't know if it's, I don't know if you call it shame or just this buried thing. My child was very intense, very abusive, physically abusive. And I thought I had dealt with it. I had intellectualized a lot of it, but I hadn't re-experienced anything. And I haven't actually, I didn't actually go through the emotional process. And there's so much great work now. Um, I mean, the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk. Gabor Mate talks a lot about this stuff. He just has a new book called The Myth of Normal. I thought, when I heard about this stuff initially in my clinic, I thought it was bogus, this you know, stuff gets stored in your body. You have to reprocess it. Trauma leads to all of these things. They can lead to physical manifestations, et cetera. And 
it wasn't until I started experiencing, you know, again, I was mastering all of these physical things, but still felt a reactivity and activation of my nervous system, um, bouts of depression. And by all measures, my life was phenomenal. And so I just kept asking, like, what the hell is going on here? And how do I f- figure out more? And so after the whole physical health thing, I think that that was the biggest unlock. Probably what helped me most, I tried therapy, talk, like traditional talk therapy for a long time. I don't think it's a great tool for people who intellectualize things because the issue is not understanding generally. I think there's a level of conceptualization that is helpful to have frames that you don't have them. But I, I got that in about a week or two. I read a couple of books and I was like, I, I understood the mechanisms of trigger psychology, et cetera, but it didn't help me actually move through anything. And our standard of care around mental and emotional health, I think is so poor. The only model we have to measure or address anything currently is by sloppy surveys, really soft data and really crude ways to go about it. And there's no practicing anything. And so if you, for example, are trying to master anything in the physical health realm, let's say nutrition or working out, and the only help you got was an hour a week with a nutritionist where they told you concepts about nutrition, what, like, would it, but you went back and you didn't change your habits of eating and nothing, you, you didn't excavate anything around your lifestyle, around nutrition. Same thing if you went to the gym once a week and a trainer walked you through why you'd be doing exercises and then maybe walked you through a little bit of an exercise, but you didn't do any other exercise the rest of the time, what would you expect? And I think that when looking at mental and emotional health, the same thing happens there where we're not really changing people's habits, their behaviors, the way that they're approaching things, which I think is fundamental. In general, my health philosophy is that we have this natural environment that we have evolved in and that our bodies and our brains and our entire being is looking for cues in the environment that we should be having. So we have this natural state environment. And when you're, when you have an organism in the, in its natural environment, the natural state of it, which is the name of my podcast, because I'm so obsessed with this concept is health. And so we have to now, because we're out of this natural environment, we have to manage health as a thing. It didn't, it never throughout all of human history used to be something that we were even cognizant about unless we had some acute injury you know, fell off a cliff and broke your leg or something like that. Like, okay, now you have a state of disease, but in general, it was health was taken care of by environment. And so you see this, if you, for example, look outside, squirrels don't have to worry about being healthy. An oak tree doesn't have to worry about how it grows its limbs and how it points towards the sun. The conditions, the environment are appropriate and you have an appropriate reaction, which is health. If you saw a weird scraggly oak tree with limbs falling off with you know, dead looking leaves. If you saw a squirrel that was three times the size coughing and limping around and couldn't move and was really confused, you'd ask what the hell is going on here? And the paleo primal ancestral scene, I think gets a lot right as far as needing to restore our natural environment to have any sort of semblance of health. However, I think what the thing it misses is that we generally need an intervention to get back on track. And so another way to think about this is if you have a 
a train running on tracks. All the conditions are right. The environment for that train is appropriate for it to have a, a normal state, a state of, you know, quote unquote health train moves forward. Great. If the tracks are bent, the train will fly off of the tracks. Okay. So the state of the, of the train tracks are bent, not good, unnatural environment train flies off. If you fix the natural environment and the train tracks are now normal again, that doesn't mean that the train's going to run. You need to have a huge intervention of getting some crane to put the train back on the tracks. And this is the thing also around mental and emotional health is that a lot of times we don't ask either question. We don't ask what is a normal, natural environment and what is the intervention we're doing to get back on track? And so when looking at things like talk therapy, et cetera, I think they're very terrible, poor ways to try to get the train back on the tracks and then the train tracks still are bent. And so you're not looking at what are the conditions that must be present for a normal human experience with emotional and mental health. And I think that there's so much with relational connection there that luckily I met my wife and she serves a good purpose of this, but trying to restore and think about how a human environment should be included. And I'm still like trying to define this from a mental, emotional, spiritual perspective with physical health. I think it's really obvious of, you know, proper food, being outside, moving a lot, sleeping. All right. Et cetera, like exposure to light. These things are all very obvious of how a human should live in a physical environment. But when it comes to a relational environment, I think it can be very soft and confusing. And I went to see the state of this tribe in Tanzania, the Hadza tribe. And this is one of the things that really impacted me was their involvement is a community. And I had never seen anybody like that before in life and the, like how that resulted in their happiness and security. So things that you see there of no one's ever alone in those communities ever for longer than like 30 seconds. And we live a life, the exact opposite. We are mostly alone and then have to sort of like plan these things where we have this belonging. We have no longer do we have an actual community. We have general friends, but I think that a community is something that people there's a necessity of a part of a greater whole. So if you exist in most modern American or even Western, any Western world, your skills don't impact the people that you actually know face to face. And so there's this, there's several layers of abstraction where like you go do the things to make money and then use your money to transact with strangers that if things went awry, you would likely never see them again. And they would go do what's best for them in their own family. So there's not an actual community here and people aren't doing things for each other. They're doing things for money so that they can have this abstraction layer, but there's no security because no one's really doing anything. Like you don't bring skills for the people that you actually know. And I think that that level of disconnection is, is huge. And then there's then a level of just communication and connection and emotional connection with people. It, it takes a very long time in modern society that I've noticed to like really drop in and get to a level of support connection and understanding with somebody else. And it's because we, we grow up with different stories. We have different realities. We now have devices that give us different algorithms. Our realities are so fractured that we don't live on the same plane anymore. So try to try to like get to a point of common understanding is really difficult. 
And so I've worked in a lot of different ways to try to recreate these things, which has been challenging as far as recreating the environment of it. Um, but on top of that, the interventions, again, I was saying that the one-on-one -on -one therapy was not really working for me. What, what has worked is a lot of other things around uh, plant medicine work, breath work, meditation, journaling, self-introspective, stuff like things that, again, are less of a dependence on a, an authority once a week and more of things that I can integrate into my life as practices and habits that change my psychology to actually address the underlying thing. So it's a very long answer to, to your question, but that's been at least some of my exploration on, on this path. No, it's a beautiful answer. And yeah, it's, we are, we're so far removed from our tribal ancestors and how we are, you know, in that kind of in that environment, how we're, we're meant to be in that environment around other people and caring for our elders and, you know, a community caring for our children mm -hmm. and getting that, that support, you know, mm -hmm. and we are so far removed and, and just the social media, ugh, like I'm just, I'm, I do social media for my work, but I'm just trying to spend less time on it. I think it's just an absolute poison to our self-love and our, our self-esteem and, and, but people are, they're wanting that sense of community. That's why, that's one of the reasons they're doing it. It's just this kind of, you know, I don't want to say grotesque with just this, you know, warped uh, sense of community, but people are just, they're desperately, desperately trying to connect. Yeah. It's part of this negative feedback loop where the same thing with junk food, you're hungry, your body needs nourishment. And so you go to these things that have been engineered to basically addict you to eating more. You eat them, you don't get nourished. So you need more nourishment. So you're more hungry. So you go out and eat more of them typically. And once you get momentum in that, it's really difficult. You know, I've seen this, even the basic thing of people who eat a standard American diet and how hard it is to switch to eating real food. And, you know, my journey, you know, I was talking about before when I was really unhealthy, eating the Pop-Tarts, Tostitos, like all this type of stuff to now where I try to literally know the humans that are growing my food and how the connectedness to my food system grow as much as myself as possible and know where all of my food comes from and eating real food that spoils hunting wild game, all this type of stuff. That was a 15 year journey to get to that point. And the same thing happens with connection on social media and devices and people's community and relationship with other people. Of, and I actually think it's a harder thing to switch. And it's a harder thing to change because the lifestyle that is required to change to eat healthy, I think is less friction than the lifestyle it takes to change from getting your connection with these service level apps and you know, internet and then to get an in-person community and do that, like that level of change is so much more drastic for most people that it's even harder. And so you're taking what, what took me at least a 15 year journey to change your nutrition. How long is it going to take an average person who's addicted to these devices to build an appropriate in-person community? I don't know, but it's, it, it's definitely been a hell of a lot of work for my wife and I to like, think about this manage it, change our life, change our relationships and try to mold something different and change the momentum of what we're just blasted with on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And when you look at the millennials, we look at our children, I mean, yeah. they grew up with the social media. It's their life. I mean, 
they get they can spend hours and hours, if not all day, on uh, video games, interacting with other people on the social media apps, and they're designed to be so addictive. I've been finding myself, I go on, I'm just wanting a little, you know, a little laugh or a little, you know, some Jay Shetty or some Matthew Hussey or whatever. And then three hours later, I'm like, what in the hell? Like I am wasting my life away um, yeah. with this, this addiction, this addictive, uh, you know, app. Yeah. And the, the challenging part is that it's, we're getting to the point where you can't live without it. Literally, like you, you won't be able to function in society without these tools. Whereas at least if you want to off ramp off of junk food, you can eat real food. It's sometimes it's hard to find, but you can still do it. And it's not a necessity to participate in society to eat junk food. The cell phone is such like, it's basically sewed on most people's hands, myself included. It is an absolute requirement for me to do what I do. Do I want that to be like, and, and that's only getting more and more and more and more and more involved. And so again, the off ramp, like how do you even expect people to do this? And this is, you know, when looking at, so this natural state, this natural environment and how to modify things, I don't think there's any going back. And I think once you admit that and you realize like, how do we best use these tools to go forward and integrate instead of try to push away, then it becomes more of a, an awareness of like, how do I, how do I use this as a tool rather than this relationship of all or nothing have to push away, but that still gets me back and back and forth. And so what are some of the, the things that you're doing to create more community to kind of make that transition to feel like you have, like you said, more of a, a community and maybe getting off, getting off the social media, et cetera. Yeah. So in this weird spot, because my wife and I are moving out of the Texas area and restarting our community entirely. Um, so I'll, I'll let you know in a year or two, how I, intentionally build community in Bend, Oregon, which is where we're moving. But the what we've done over the last couple of years, I think the, the biggest thing, again, is the feeling of service to, to people. And the way I did that a lot over the last year and a half is growing food. And so actually doing farming. It was just one of these things where I was very interested in it and I wanted to learn about it. So bought a farm and have been producing a lot of food for our friends, family, and other people in the community. And that level of connection to nurturing, paying attention, participating with nature, growing the food, giving it to people, watching them enjoy it, get nourished is, is a sense of belonging that I've never had in my life. And so that, that I think is like a, is a huge, huge part of it of how are you contributing to the people that you can actually look in the face. And for some people that's very different. My wife, for example, has much softer skills that I think that society doesn't value as much but I think are likely more important than even me growing food for people. I think it's, so, so it's creating safe space for people, helping people feel heard, being there for people when they're having a difficult time to actually process emotions, work through them, et cetera. So she, I mean, that's what she does for work, but being able to do that for our friends and family and being able to do that is like another thing of like, that's her path of service and how she contributes to our, you know, quote unquote community. And I think just being aware of how much time are you spending quote unquote working, which is just, again, 99% of it for people is typing away at a computer so that way they can make money. 
but then they never really take that back into a local community for people that they actually interact with and actually have relationships with. Like, how are you impacting their lives and how are you showing up for them and how are you uniquely contributing to that? I think that not only that strengthens bonds and community, but it, it gives it gives the individual a sense of purpose that otherwise I think is can be very listless without. And this is the other thing too, like I had a great, before I started thinking about this and doing this, I had an amazing day-to-day -day experience. And it's not like I was depressed, but at the end of the day, I just sort of would reflect and think, what the hell is the, what is the point of my life right now? Like what, just completely without purpose. I think purpose can be driven in a lot of ways, but I think that in the most basic form, even if it's volunteering once a week or something like that, people can find such meaning and purpose in anything to contribute to somebody's lives, again, that you can actually have a conversation with face-to-face. -face. And with the way the world's changing, people are having less and less and less of those interactions over time, which is really sad. Yeah, and I think it, it's so important. Like you're you're not going to wake up feeling good or feeling energized without having that sense of purpose in your life. But it can take a really long time, you know, to discover that. I, I think in the meantime, people need to really think about uh, focusing on love and gratitude and with making all their decisions and making uh, thinking about uh, before they say something, before they interact with people coming from a space of love and gratitude. But I think first you have to find, you have to love yourself in order to have something to give to other people. I think that can be really challenging. And that's where the trauma work comes in yeah. is releasing these, these negative emotions and these traumas that are their energetic frequencies trapped in your energy field that need to be released in order and remove these roadblocks to caring about yourself. And so uh, what kind of things did you do to kind of on your journey to, to work on trauma. I had the same thing. I did therapy for 10 years. I spent like, I spent a fortune <laughs> oh, yeah. and, uh, but yeah, it's, it was great to become an expert in your neuroses, but it doesn't help with trauma release. A lot of different plant medicines were crucial for me to step outside my really rigid reality to understand bonds and just view things very differently. It allows you to have different neuroplasticity and literally rewire your brain in many ways. And I think my nervous system was just caught in this intense, rigid mode of fight or flight for so long. And it didn't, it wasn't until I started regularly using some of these compounds where I could literally feel my brain changing and my reaction to certain situations. Uh, for example, if somebody were to say something or I get cut off in traffic, I would like immediately go from a zero to a 10. And it was like my body was on high alert all time, hypervigilant. And I've done a lot to try to rewire that. I would say I'm not, it's not perfect by any means, but hundred times better than where it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So that has been a huge one. I think uh, for me as well, the spirituality meditation component and just the, the integration of belonging to something more than the, I guess, the nihilistic point of view that I had before is ultra rationalist growing up, rejected any sort of institution of religion. And again, just like extreme materialist, rationalist, didn't think there was any point in living, but still kind of like carried on in my day to day, would forget about it after I, when I stopped thinking about it late at night when I couldn't sleep and then just operate day to day and having a level of spiritual belief 
which is I don't necessarily buy into any sort of like organized religion, but I have my own sort of identity around spirituality now that whether it's true or not, whether I'm just making up a story or not, it doesn't matter. It makes my life way better. So I don't even, I don't even care at this point, having purpose and belonging and participating in something bigger than yourself is so critical. And that's another thing of like forming that over the last 10, 15 years and diving in and researching a bunch about your religion, spirituality, having experiences myself allowed me to form a set of stories that I could anchor all the other work on. Otherwise it would just all fall away. And you see this in so many other cultures throughout all of human history in the modern way to explain it is, oh, these people are just superstitious. They were really dumb. And this was their way to grapple with the fact that we just die and nothing happens after you're dead. Or this is before they had science. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I think that this is, we've just replaced the religion of every other culture with now the religion of science, the religion of progress and the religion of the individual humans worship something. And so if you have a void of some sort of spiritual practice beyond you, you're going to typically worship yourself and you're going to like, I think that's far more damaging and you see it across all of society. Currently we, we don't, it's not something that we can, it's like breathing. We have an element, whether we like it or not, it's part of the human condition of worship, belief, having these sort of existential capacities, your brain goes there eventually if you have enough space for it. If you're out of survival mode, if you have enough time to ruminate on things, every human gets to that point. And no matter what, you create a story and you hang it on that. And like you said, we have this, this now this story of science, progress, individualism that I think is part and parcel quite why we have most of the problems we have now today. Yeah, I love that what you said that you don't have a higher power to worship, you're going to worship yourself. And that's where we see this kind of breeding of narcissism in our in our society. And now like, and it's narcissism is a result of parenting. And it's just so rampant, at least in the Western cultures, for sure, that, you know, in many ways are lacking uh, religion or rejecting it for one reason or another. Our stories are very similar. I have the same thing where I outright rejected uh, organized religion, but still felt like there was something there. I was in a Jesus, but but not really. <laughs> but uh, but believe, but definitely now having a practice, a spiritual practice is so important. Um, can you tell yeah, I think us? It, I think it gets yeah. easy to get allergic to these terms. I think people get traumatized by organized religion and their experience yes. in them. And then, so they reject it all. And Jesus, even saying the word God for a lot of people, becomes like this heavy loaded term. And so then they, like, they don't have the vocabulary. Like our language shapes our reality so much. And if you say, hey, I don't identify with what's going on over here, this organized religion, but I have no other words to use it and to talk about it and to vocalize and communicate with other people, it's not a real thing. And this is the challenge I think about religion and the institutions that have fallen down and have failed us for many reasons is that it, it carries with it that in this monolithic sort of way, all of the language associated with spirituality and it makes all the language taboo. And when you take language away, 
your experience and your reality becomes very limited. And I think this is a, is a part that you see all these kind of woo people talking about things. And it's the same thing that they're saying in religion, but they're like, they're needing to find these other ways to speak about it because otherwise you get lumped in this other thing. And it's a really interesting thing to just observe people's experience internally versus their experience externally and how it's validated through language specifically and how control of language over time, this guy, Ivan Illich talks a lot about this, really shapes our like, literal experience as humans. So uh, this uh, tangent, but something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is just the, the use of language around spirituality and religion is like really an interesting thing. Yeah. And, and it's also, uh, you know, so true what you said around the people are so mired in their health issues or their busy life or social media, you know, they don't have the maybe consciousness to expand into the spiritual practice or the energy or the time or, or much less stepping into their life purpose when you're just kind of mired with all your health problems and you're just busy trying to figure out your health issues, you know, you don't have like that energy to discover or step into your life purpose. And I think for me, that's where I've gone on this podcast, my personal journey, going into health, talking about detox, but then going into bioenergetics to help, uh, you know, correct the body's functioning on in many, many, many levels, which allows people then to, focus on the higher level things that where they can serve, serve on this planet, you know, and, um, but yeah, so, uh, speaking of plant medicines, I've never heard anyone complaining about plant medicines. <laughs> I've never heard anyone <laughs> uh, say that they don't like plant medicines or that didn't work for me. I mean, most people that I've met that are, that are doing it rabid fans. I have a friend of mine that just came visit me in Mexico who was for the most part, I've known him. He used to be a client of mine, but we're a good friend now. He's very depressed, very kind of closed, like trauma. And like he is a new person after, you know, taking psilocybin and taking that on a regular basis. He's just completely opened up and, and bloomed in, in many ways. So the plant medicine is something I haven't really explored so much on this show, but uh, definitely, um, you know, usually 10 out of 10 people are rating it. <laughs> yeah. It the popularity of it is getting interesting because it is something that used to be so sacred and held with reverence and taken very seriously as a medicine. And we have all these indigenous cultures that had used these compounds for thousands of years. The training level with most of these shamans, people who would facilitate the experiences sometimes they're like chosen at birth to be shamans and trained for their entire life. And then they're, you know, in their sixties, finally being able to facilitate. And now we're having, you know, any bro off the street who has a pocket full of mushrooms can be the, your facilitator. And I think that that is a very different experience. It's confusing space. And I think without the right container in it, without the right intention, without going into it with a very specific guidance from people who have experience who do it and have done it for many, 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 many years. I think what can happen that I've seen a lot in the Austin area, especially is people get addicted to the peak state of the experience. They don't end up doing any work. They just keep going back. And I think in this state as well, you can be very impressionable. And so if you go in it in a way of 
trying to explore your not from like an excavation route, but more of a reinforcement of ego. I think that you can actually get out of it what you're looking for in many ways. I think damaged people who aren't appropriately ready for trauma work can reinforce this ego, this delusion of grandeur that they have, then talk about it on social media and use it as a way to reinforce their, their you know, awakeness and awokeness and spiritual connection but really it's just this religion of me just keeps being more and more reinforced i've seen that in it to an insane degree especially again around the austin area is like it's some people with five hundred thousand, a million instagram followers talking about how you know their life has changed and so amazing and then everybody else who's following them wants to do the same thing they just it's it's like this parroted thing but people don't have the right guidance. They don't have the right experience. They don't have the right intentions going in. It's a very serious thing. And I think it can take people off of, off track and it can be something that is really hard to step out of. Because again, if we have this neuroplastic effect to it, it literally changes your brain wiring. And if you go into it in a high ego way and it reinforces that and wires your brain that way, you can be in a neuroplastic state with some of these compounds for weeks and so it, it's just, I think, a very tricky thing. I think it can be very powerful, and there's a lot of great stories. I agree. I think it should be taken with extreme caution and extreme reverence and respect. Yeah, I agree for sure. Yeah, I've just had, um, haven't had that many experiences with it, but I've had someone, you know, I had a someone give me a LSD um, for a, like a micro dose. And it was amazing. It was absolutely an amazing experience, but it wasn't within like a, a ceremonial mm. uh, type using like frog medicine or combo or psilocybin or anything of that nature. Yeah. They're, they're all tools. And I think as, as goes with most tools in our modern environment, we overuse them, over apply them and use them entirely wrong. <laughs> but I think it's just with, with anything, even the social media, like you said, like it, as long as you're aware of the use of the tool and using it properly, I think that it could be a tremendous leverage point. Yeah, but I definitely see where like the psilocybin is similar, like the synthetic components like LSD definitely help with depression and can can be very kind of, uh, you know, revolutionary in that sense uh, where other methods aren't working. But, if, if, you know, when it boils down to it, it's, it's a spiritual issue. It's a trauma issue. Uh, but these are there are so many different tools out there today. And I'm glad that that the plant medicine is getting more research behind it and becoming more mainstream and more people are talking about the, these wonderful tools that can be used to essentially help bring people out of their shell and change their lives and their way of thinking. For sure. So is there anything else that you wanted to share uh, with the listeners about ge like general thoughts about health or uh, people on their health journey trying to figure things out? Yeah, I think that the framework I explained earlier and all the things you need to manage regarding physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health and how we should re be re recreating our environment but moving forward, kind of what I've come down to is that the, you know, I say this because I, I saw on Twitter the other day this guy saying, look at my sleep stack and all the things that I'm doing. There's like 58 items where it was <laughs> my eight sleep mattresses like this. But my my eye mask is like this special material. These blackout curtains, like this. I I blah blah blah. Like there was fifty eight things, and generally speaking, 
we compartmentalize all these areas of our lives. Even when I was talking about before around, here's how you think you should think about connection. And like, you need to have this thing and that thing. And there's, there's so many things to end up managing uh, that I come through like a, here's this thing you can stack with that can get you to the most amount of these with the least amount of work. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. I think it's like when you think about every era of your life, the exercise and the diet and the sleep and the supplements and all this, it just, it becomes so overwhelming. Um, all the, the money you need to spend and the time you need to invest. It's yeah. like, who has the time? I mean, I know at one point my health is my full-time job. But when I was a stay-at-home mom, a full-time job, that's all I did was read about health and do health and go to the farmer's market and make food. It's just, uh, you know, I think it's it's difficult to figure out like where to invest your energy. Where's the return on investment of, of your time and money when it comes to health? Yeah. So what I think to be the, the easiest way is to go meet your producers who grow your food and have a connection to your food system and support local farmers that I go, I went through and sort of like tried to check as many boxes with one thing as possible. If you could do one thing, what's the one thing you could do that would have maximally affect all these other things. And I think that's it. I think it's, if you go find your small farmer where you get food and even just start, if you don't have the time and money to do that, just when you eat something, think about where is this coming from? Where, like all the ingredients in this dish, where are they all coming from? And I think that the connectedness and the awareness around food, where it's coming from, once you start going down that rabbit hole, it kind of unlocks everything. It's almost a proxy for having made it through the journey to some degree of all of this type of stuff. And yeah, I have a new project in central Texas in Austin called Rooted Local Meats that is trying to facilitate this and bring the best local producers to consumers and then facilitate events, things like this, and allow people to find these connections in their community. It's, it's hard to do, but it's one simple thing that I think people could do that could change a lot in their life and how they experience it. Yeah. What is the project called again? It's called rootedlocalmeats.com is the, is the website. And yeah, I mean, if you're in the Austin area, check it out. It's, we're just doing meat for now, but we're going to expand to, uh, again, all of the stuff that people could buy, any producers that are locally. Like, I think that people keep money locally. Again, it's just this, how can I contribute to my local community? And I think that there's a lot of good producers who are unfortunately having to resort to shipping their products across the globe and frozen ice. And it's just like, you're, you're taking something that should stay in, in, in like facilitates a connection of farmer to consumer. And now you're making it a faceless e-commerce transaction. And I feel very strongly against that as like the future of agriculture. Uh, yeah, I love that. I love everything that's going on in Austin. I mean, there's so many people I know that have moved to, to Austin. There's such a huge uh, health community there and a lot of health influencers and things like that. Uh, but yeah, I wish uh, I wish there was more things like that here in Mexico. <laughs> the food situation is uh, Well, maybe that's dire. how you contribute. It's pretty dire down here. <laughs> yeah, time to get your hands dirty and start start a little community down there. Exactly. There is, I have a guy who's going to do a garden for me, and he has a little community of people that he's growing food for and planting the gardens and, and trying to connect people and trade food and things like that. And I bought a bunch of seeds to, you know, to facilitate that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that project at some point, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I love what you're doing. I love that message. I think it's, it's super, super important. Uh, well, Anthony, thanks so much for coming on the show 
And uh, why don't you tell us what your your health website is? And because you have amazing content, you have an amazing uh, you have amazing articles, very very in depth, really good content, and a great podcast too. Where can we find that? Yeah, a podcast called The Natural State. It's found on any platform, and then anywhere else you want to read, do email. Twitter, et cetera, all that stuff is just my name. So just search Anthony Gustin, anything will come up. Okay, fantastic. Well, Anthony, thanks for coming on the show. And everyone, I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. Thanks so much for joining us on the Myers Detox podcast. I, I love this conversation that we had because, you know, I, I you know, I, as I've learned more about health, I can't stress enough that it's great to, you know, focus on your diet and the supplements. And but eventually you find it's just, it's not enough and you're, you're hungering for something more. And so you do have to instill a spiritual practice and, and develop more community and then work on trauma. These are all essential components. Uh, So thanks for tuning in and I'll talk to you next week. The Myers Detox Podcast is created and hosted by Wendy Myers. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Wendy Myers and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.